This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Pridger-McLean, and I'm delighted that you decided to listen to me verbally snoop through people's wardrobes. I am chatting to the incredible activist and author Aja Barber this week. Aja's book, Consumed, has just been released and I'm waiting for it to arrive, but I already know it's going to be a life-changing read. This episode was recorded in September of 2021. Aja was at her publisher's office signing a stack of books. That's just the coolest thing ever, signing books. One day I'm going to sign a book and it's not just going to be <laughs> something illegal I've done in a library. As usual, I was sat cross-legged on the questionable leopard print carpet in the tiny room that I grandly call a walk-in wardrobe. Now, if you love clothes and fashion, there are some great tips here when it comes to buying and investing in amazing designer bits, if that is your thing. Oh, and excuse me during this episode because you can literally hear how doe-eyed I am talking to someone that I think is changing the world. So with all that out the way, it's time to ask Aja Barber, who are you wearing? I remember the first time my mother let me pick out what I wanted to wear for the day. And I remember feeling so proud of myself because I managed to match the colors and create an outfit that she hadn't made for me before. Like she said, okay, well, you can pick out your clothing today for the first time. And I really was like, don't screw it up. Don't (laughs) screw it up. And so like, I literally got this, this like, shirt that was full of pastels and paired it with like these periwinkle lavendery shorts that also had the same color and I remember sort of coming down and feeling like did I do it right and my mom being (laughs) like good job you know like really proud of me and so I think that was my first experience with like feeling really like kind of empowered through clothing but I would argue that I got very much into fashion because later on I found myself in elementary school being like made fun of for not having the right clothes because I wore a lot of hand-me-downs for my older sister who's five years older than me. And my mom was also always big on thrifting. She was always um, somebody who was very, very frugal when it came to dressing, particularly dressing herself and dressing us. And so I didn't have the right clothing. And I sort of began to realize that like certain classmates were everybody was buying their clothes from like this store, that store. And I would come to my mom and say, oh, well, can can we go shopping here? And she'd be like, no, it's expensive. We, we can't afford that. And so I think my first foray into, you know, wanting to know more about fashion came from a need to fit in through material items. Mm, that's so interesting. So as a kid then, it sounds like you off the bat had a great eye and a, a sense of how you wanted to look. But was that, how did that sort of um, meet the expectations held by either peer pressure directly from your classmates or perceived pressure? How did that influence your style? Or did you just go, no, I'm going to do it my way? Um, At first, I wanted to fit in. I wanted all the clothing from the same store that they all shopped at. But my mom, she wasn't going to do that. And uh, I think when I got to high school, I actually started to get really, like, rebellious and, like, fuck them. I don't want to be a part of their club, you know, like, and I, I think some of the most courageous fashion minds have always had very, very similar experiences to what I experienced. So I always feel like even in high school, I began to sort of read interviews with people that I consider visionaries. And um, 
it, it always seemed like the experience was similar. Like, no, I didn't have the right stuff. I grew up in this area. I wasn't appreciated, that sort of thing. And now I am appreciated. And so I think in the back of my head, I always sort of knew like, no, I think it's, you know, it's, I definitely feel like I'm onto something and they are the ones that don't get it. But at the same time, I don't want to pretend like I was always like this. Like I desperately wanted to fit in elementary school. And that was some of the earliest fights with my mom was about me feeling like I didn't have the right clothing and you were getting me like made fun of. Like in the book, mm-hmm. like I write about how my mother made me wear my sister's sweater for like fourth grade school pictures. And there's five year time difference between us and five year age difference. And, um, we grew up in like the eighties and the nineties and the clothing styles were so different in the eighties versus the nineties. So a sweater Mm -hmm. that was like kind of cool in 1987 was not cool in 1992. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I got ragged on relentlessly. And I think that was what definitely started some of my earliest fights with my mom was like, you don't understand how it feels. And then that also would drive me to like, you know, I started doing like part-time work from a really young age like and not like heavy part-time work but like pet sitting dog walking babysitting and all of that money would go to like buying what was considered the right clothes but you know what at the end of the day people that are mean to you they're not going to be nice to you because you buy the same clothes as them Mm. and the sooner I figured that out the more I was like oh okay let me free myself of this (laughs) well how old were you when you kind of cottoned on to that I think I kind of knew in the back of my head by the time I became like 13 14 but I don't think I started to really really believe it until I got into high school you know Mm, wow yeah I uh I think a lot of people have that journey of feeling like knowing this isn't them and they're like cosplaying Mm -hmm. as something that feels like will mean they get less grief you even like this stuff and you know what I think we're all guilty of it like honestly I think even as an adult I know the power of like advertising and like well the cool kids have this product and sometimes I have to stop myself and be like do you even like that thing or do you feel like you should like that thing because all of those people like that thing you know (laughs) like I I have to like sit with myself and be like, I don't know, sort it out, mate, you know? Um, (laughs) Because, like, I, this was a chapter that was missing from the book, but, like, I wrote this chapter about how I wanted a Birkin bag from, like, the time I was a college student. As soon as I learned what a Birkin bag was, (laughs) I wanted one. And the goal was, I'll put my name on the list, and then when I get out of school hence us not being in recession after recession after recession. <laughs> I'll have a high-paying job, and it'll take me five years to get off that wait list, but by then I'll have work, and then I can afford the bag that cost, at the time, $5,000. Birkin bags are more expensive today because of inflation. It took me years before I was like, you only wanted a Birkin bag because you wanted what that bag says about you. Today, mm. I don't even think Birkin bags are pretty. They look like a mini piece of luggage. I think they're ugly. <laughs> but, like, we all fall prey to that, right? Like, I want this item because that person has it and that person has it. And maybe the world will treat me a little bit better mm. if I have this particular item, you know? Mm. And I, I don't think that – I don't think – I think there are a few people that are immune to that. Yeah, I totally agree. So when you were growing up as a kid then, who was dressing you? Because it sounds like it's sort of a three-way thing between you, your mum and your sister all having an influence in the final product. Oh, well, my sister didn't have an influence. It was just like, oh, I've grown out of this, so put it in Aja's closet. Um, My mother and then I myself, you know, like I said, I started dog sitting and, and paper routing and doing anything I could. And then I'd go to the mall and be like, what can I afford? What can I afford? And, and, you know, I felt like I could buy my way into like people being nicer to me. And that was just not the case, but it did teach me like resilience and it taught me like the value of things. Like that was the thing. I think, you know, a lot of kids, I grew up in a really affluent privileged area. I think a lot of kids didn't understand the value of certain products and money. Mm -hmm. I remember this one girl, brat like she had like a sweatshirt from the limited and like 
I wanted one of those so badly. It was like the the product to have. And I remember her like putting it on the ground, like sitting on it. And I would never sit on something precious on like the muddy ground. And I said, what are you doing? Like that costs money. And she was like, it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And I just remember being like, bratty fucking kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember thinking that as a kid. Yeah. But it also sounds like you are, I don't know, it seems like that level of awareness that you're applying to that, that feels like a, I don't know, a slightly different relationship with consumerism to lots of children. Already, it feels like you had something there. I think I've always just been really hyper aware of certain things. Like, I don't think that I'm like, book smart at all or like like I bombed every like possible test you could bomb in school but I think that there's something to be said for like emotional intelligence and like Mm. um you know just looking at the world around you and being able to make an assessment and being able to really have like a bird's eye view even though you're in it and I think that's something that I've always had a gift at and I think my dad has the same gift I don't know it's like foresight and direction like my dad can be driving on a road in a city he's never been in before in his life and he knows where that road will take him he knows where it's going to spit him out and I'm the same uh my partner calls me the homing pigeon because he's like go on find our way home find our way home like if he gets a bit backed up I'll be like okay take that left and I think it's going to spit you out on this street and sure enough and I think that that extends to like the ways I look at systems, the ways I look at the way the world looks, the ways I sort of started to be like, I'm not really feeling that great about fast fashion, man. Like it's feeling, Mm. it's feeling a bit weird. Like I'm not, I don't know. I don't really like this whole disposable thing with my wardrobe. And maybe that's actually going to become an ecological problem if everyone else is doing the same thing that I feel like I'm feeling compelled to do. So Mm. I think that, in our society, we really praise certain types of intelligence, you know, literary and book and this and that. But I think that sometimes having the foresight to see things from a different perspective than maybe your peers can is something that we should also praise. Totally. Um, are you aware, sorry to go slightly off topic, but there's no. a thing called the theories of um, multiple intelligence, that there's about nine, um, but they think there might be even more. But generally, financially, we reward the ones that are um, maths-based, math science, and, yeah. and English-based. Um, Which but will explain ones... how I spent most of my life broke. <laughs> math was not my strong suit. It is not a barber family trait, math. Like, my niece and nephew are very good at math and I think they definitely don't get that from our side of the family <laughs> but what are the intelligences in it is sort of existentialism and being able to see much further outside yourself what is happening and also where you fit in in the context and and what you're describing and emotional intelligence is one as well because some people can be so astute in that and have never yeah. passed a test in their life and and yeah. but the problem is as a society we've we've decided there's just there's the two types that we're going to financially reward and everyone else just you, you're and not I, good at that stuff i think that also extends to like jobs for instance right like i write about in the book how getting a visa to move from country to country to work is really hard to do because I've wanted to be back in London for years before I met my spouse. Um, and it seems like if you're in finance or IT or certain jobs, you can like move to any country in the world. But mm. if you are like, I want to be a writer, good luck getting a visa for that. <laughs> you know, good, good luck. Um, and so, yeah, I do write about that. Our world just values certain jobs and we don't value others. And it's it's a detriment to us, I think. I really do think that. I mean, that's why people don't value certain work. That's why every graphic designer I know has to explain why they get paid what they pay, get paid. And that's also why people have lost disconnect with our clothing and value our valuing our clothing and loving our clothing and cherishing our clothing and having respect for the person that makes the clothing all of this has to do with what we value in our society i think Mm, totally totally even just like i knew 
I thought I was more self-aware than most, but just even watching things like Sewing Bee, where it takes them under extreme pressure, they get given five hours to make something that won't be as good as the thing that you pay a couple of quid for in, mm. you know, Primark, because mm-hmm. the, just the hours and hours, and I think if we all had a great connection with that stuff of craft, then yeah. then the price should reflect that, but... Anyway, and, and that's that was totally it for me. Like I started, I I was that person that would go into like a store that was slightly overpriced and go, no, I could do that. That's really simple. Why are they charging <laughs> for that? And so I literally got myself a sewing machine and was like, I'm going to learn how to do stuff. And surprise, it's really hard. <laughs> like out of every project I made during that time period where I was making a lot of my own clothing, I would say... Every, like, for every three items, two of them were absolute trash and unwearable. (laughs) And then there would be one that would be, like, good. And it's like, yes, because making clothing is really hard. Surprise. But I don't think there's enough of that in our society. And I think think most school-age children should have to learn how to, like, sew and like take sewing classes and learn how to like repair your clothing you mm-hmm. know that should be taught in school this is how you sew a button back on this mm-hmm. is how you do a few things because I, I do think I, I did take um they used to call it home economics but now when I was a teenager it was called modern teen living and I took <laughs> modern teen living and learned how to make a really not great pair of boxer shorts and a few other things and um that was my first foray into realizing that actually this takes time and effort and energy. And I think if everyone had to take that, maybe we would be looking at all of this differently. Yeah, that's so wise. And I also absolutely love the phrase that modern teen living. <laughs> I know, so... right? Isn't it so weird? <laughs> <laughs> so like, What sort of teenager is just going to be like, oh, yes, I, I know how to make a perfect pineapple upside down cake (laughs) real transferable skill stuff (laughs) um you said earlier about you and your mum sort of having arguments around clothing were you ever made to wear something that you hated being in yeah that sweater in the fourth grade and my it's in my fourth grade like school pictures hated that sweater because I knew it was dated like I knew I was gonna get dragged the minute I got to school so I was like please don't make me wear that. Please don't make me wear that. But like, I would argue like most of my sister's hand-me-downs were just incredibly dated. Like she was, you know, by the time I really started to get an awareness, which was like ages nine, 10, you know, she was nine and 10 in like the eighties and I was nine and 10 in the early nineties. And so Mm. like, I really, really don't want to wear the clothing from the 80s because, like, that's what people rip on. So, yeah, all of that stuff I absolutely disliked. Disliked most of, like, the church clothing my mom made me wear. Oh, God, my mom used to make us wear, like, stockings for church. And, like, I will never, ever wear a pair of stockings ever (laughs) again in my lifetime. Ever. Never. (laughs) Could it be bothered? So, stockings for church and... You know, I used to have a little uniform because I was a church usher and I hated that too. So yeah, like, I love my mom, but like, man, nothing that she ever really (laughs) picked out for me was, I would say we started to really make peace with like our sartorial disagreements when I was in my 20s. I remember one year I wanted a pair of boots and she got me these these boots and the first thing she said is you could take them back if you don't like them you don't have to keep them if you don't like them because I could tell that like her feelings too had been sort of hurt through all of this and Mm. I was like no I love them like they weren't perfect I would have liked a flatter heel but I appreciated the effort that she put into like picking them Mm. out and so I ended up wearing those boots until they fell apart Mm. because I felt like we had just come a really long way of like hurting each other's feelings in all of these conversations oh that's so sweet um it's was there on the flip side of it then was there an outfit or an item of clothing that you just never wanted to take off you were like oh this is me yeah I remember the first time I had something like that there's this girl once again way more financial privilege than my family I was playing at this girl's house after school 
and we got really wet. I don't remember what we were doing, but we got like soaked. And her mom was like, oh my goodness, go and change you two. And I was like, she was like, you can wear something of mine. And she gave me this outfit and I was like, what? This is amazing. And I remember it, it was the 90s, obviously, because it's a child in the 90s. It was these like orange biker shorts with like this really cool pattern on them with a matching top. The top was very high neck, but also A-line. And so the biker shorts sort of stuck out underneath and then the top was really A-line and orange and it matched. And I just love that outfit so much. I was so obsessed with it. And I remember at the end of the day, I was like, oh God, I love this outfit so much. And do you know, like, I don't know if this is a testament to her being generous or her just being way more financially privileged than I was. At the end of the day, she was like, I don't even like that outfit. You can have it. And her mo- she was like, mom, can I just take this outfit home? And her mom was like, I guess if you really, really don't like it. And I was like, <gasps> so oh. happy, you know, and I wore that outfit until I could not squeeze into it anymore. I wore it like all day, every day. And so, yeah, that was, that was the first time that I felt like I had something where I really felt, you know, this is how oh. I'm meant to dress, you know? That's so lovely. I'm, of course, going to ask for pictures of all these things. because I wish I did have a picture of the orange outfit. I don't know if my, I I don't think my parents have one of it, but I wish that I had. I got better about, like, photographing things as I got older, but I don't know if we have a picture of it. I can see it in my head. (laughs) High neck, 90s classic. It sounds like it would be very cool now. Like, everyone would be wearing something like that. Yeah, probably. Probably. Like, if I like decided to make like a version of that as an adult I think people would buy it (laughs) so when you were growing up then what were the big trends and were you going in with the trends or trying to work with the hand-me-downs to go with it or you by that time were you already like forging ahead and doing your own thing Originally, what sort of launched it all was a Gap opened in my town and everybody had clothing from the Gap. And all I wanted was just a T-shirt or something. And Mm. my mom was like, $20 for a T-shirt? No way. You know, (laughs) so and I think the Gap has actually I, I tell people this, but all of the brands that you see on the high street and in the malls have gradually come down in price, because if you factor in today's inflation and the quality, Gap was actually very much on the high end in 1992. Mm. Um, so that was the first thing. And it was also the limited two, which now the limited two looks like a rainbow barfed inside of it. But like <laughs> when I was a kid, it was like just a shrunken down version of the limited, was, which was the height of cool at the time. Mm. So it was very much like beautiful kids clothes, you know. Mm. And today if you type in limited two, it's all like, bright colorful horrible hurt your eyes but back then it was like they went through a time period where it was all like muted neutral tones very cool um so it was just like dressing like a mini adult and then later on by the time I got to high school I was really obsessed with Esprit du Corps now today Esprit is a completely different company they basically sold the company to a group I think out of Germany and it's nothing like its former self and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even look in that direction because it doesn't appeal to me but in the 90s Esprit was the shit it was so cool it was so well made it was so beautiful it was so ethereal it was um it was just gorgeous. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous brand. And so by the time I got to high school, I was very much obsessed with that. And then I realized that um, there was a Esprit outlet that was like an hour from my parents' house. And I made them take me. And it was just like, oh, I remember <laughs> I, I had like $100 that I had just saved. And I was able to get so many things. Pieces I still have today. Like I have a wrap dress that I bought from that Esprit outlet. And I think it was like 1999, 1998, maybe. It barely fits. Like I say rapid, thank goodness for that. Um, (laughs) But I got that dress 
it had been like $120, which let's remember in 90s money, that's a lot of money. Mm. Um, and I managed to, I think, get it for like 30 like at the yeah. outlet. And I, I still have it. It's hanging in my closet today. That I could send you a picture of if you wanted to see that. Definitely, definitely. Because we'll pop it on the Instagram afterwards. And yeah. That's so brilliant. And you know, it was you actually in an Instagram post you did a, a long while ago now. I think you were talking about a Zara dress because I had been really struggling. No, about, I was no, in... it wasn't. It wasn't Zara for me because I Zara has always made me feel like a fucking ogre. So it wouldn't have been Zara. Because <laughs> okay. they make some teeny tiny clothing. And yeah, that's the do. one thing. Even before I was not like off of fashion fast fashion i was like no to that store because every time i go in i feel like an ogre it's just like oh you see something you're like that's cute and then you're like do you have this in my size and they're like (laughs) we'll see we'll see if we make it in an and an extra large so like (laughs) when you have too many of those experiences you're just like why bother so no it wouldn't have been me if it was zara okay but it was you and you were talking about a, a a, it was definitely a high street brand dress and you were like I have worn this so many times and I was in this weird bit where I was like I couldn't quite afford to buy the sort of stuff that I knew was really eco and I was feeling very mm-hmm. guilty and I do get lots of stuff from charity shops but and you were like listen I bought this and I wear it constantly constantly and like and that's how we should wear our clothes and that's where I was like it was like you had given me permission to to understand how to try and work out my relationship with clothing. You know what the problem is? We all get like sold the marketing on Instagram and Instagram will market something as what it isn't. Like, you know, the the people that have like the most like sustainable wardrobes, you know, they have like all the new like sustainable and eco trendy brands that everybody should have. Why do they only have that in their wardrobe when we know that everybody was buying fast fashion for like the last 20 years? I know (laughs) very few people that did not get sucked into fast fashion. So how is it that this person is such a wise sage that they missed (laughs) all of this? You know what I mean? Like that's what they're not showing on their Instagram. They're not showing the moment that they decided to bag up all their ASOS and send it off to a charity shop thus making it someone else's problem. And that's a little Mm. bit dishonest. They're portraying to you a lifestyle, but that Mm. is not actually an attainable lifestyle. An attainable lifestyle is being like, right, so like, I know this dress is fast fashion, but it really serves a purpose. I'm going to continue to wear it. If a friend compliments it or something, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's it's H&M. <laughs> I'm going to be like, look, I don't buy H&M anymore, and here's why. But if you really like this dress, it's from this season. I bet you can probably find it on eBay because I guarantee you mm-hmm. they made millions of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, did you have a rebellious phase when you were growing up and did it show up in your style if you did? Oh, I think the most amount of like rebellion was just fighting with my mom about like having the right clothing. But I would argue, so my sister used to take me to like raves when I was like really young, very underage. We all used the same fake ID. Me and my sisters, all of us did. (laughs) And um, my sister used to take me to raves. And so I did start to dress very like raver like you know when I was in high school I had and I still have a lot of those pieces it was like classic 90s wear but like really like long iridescent skirt that I used to love and I had the like today they're still you know this popular again which makes me feel like I'm too old to wear them but the very high (laughs) shoes the shoes that were like you know you see people wearing these sneakers in Peckham and adds an extra like five inches to their you know those very high sneakers I had those I remember getting them my parents being like are those orthopedic shoes I was like no (laughs) um so so yes like I I went through a time period where I think my clothing reflected what I was like getting into in the weekend but I wasn't ever like super duper rebellious Uh, like I said my relationship with my mom I think became fraught because of the clothing issue so Mm. Interesting. She well, just couldn't I... understand why I didn't value, you know, why why we had different values when it came to like clothing and money and financial stuff. She just didn't she didn't get it. It was hard for her. But they've it feels like they've aligned a lot more, right? 
Well, I think she's taught me a lot because the truth is, you know, forcing, you know, getting me to like buy things from charity shops. And these were things I always kept secret from my like snobby peers, but like, you know, getting me into charity shops and, and making me wear hand-me-downs was actually really good for me. Like that's intuitively what we all should be doing. And so, mm. um, I think she was really great in that way. And I appreciate that now. And like, I remember when I got super into fast fashion, my mom being like, why are you buying all this crap clothing? Like, it's crap. <laughs> this is crap. And me being like, you just don't understand. And now she's like, she's so smug. Like, I'm like, you're right. It is crap. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, she would literally like go to like her fav her idea of like getting a good deal is going to her favorite charity shop and getting like a Patagonia jacket that somebody has like lightly worn, you know, and like, <laughs> That's actually really cool, you know? It wasn't cool when I was a kid, but, like, it's super cool now. So I would say we've definitely, like, found our happy median after years of, like, bickering and not quite understanding each other. <laughs> it's so... um when it turns out that your mum was right all along, it's such a such a big day personally to get there. It's so satisfying for her, and it just makes me be like, yeah, I know, you were right all... Like, it's just... it's. <laughs> It's insufferable, but yeah, she was <laughs> right about a few things. <laughs> your your style now, which I think is really really chic, and not in the like what I think is quite a boring, like when I, when I think of like French chic of someone in a black turtleneck, it's chic in a, in a completely different way. When did that start showing up? It's been cumulative. I think what it is, is you go through the years and you find clothing that you're like, okay, this really works on me and I feel really good when I put this on. And so you start to sort of stick in your head, okay, these are, this is a silhouette that I like. And then you see, I've always been also the type of person where like, even in my 20s, part of the reason why I sort of came to all of this was because it would be like, oh, I fell in love with like this designer's collection, like this jacket that I'm wearing today. Mm -hmm. I saw this on the runway and thought, oh, God, that's amazing. But it's also 2,000 pounds, so I'm never going to be able to afford it. And so I admire it, and then I sort of move on with my life and buy the fast fashion version. But I never stopped looking for it on the real real, on Vestiaire Collective, on eBay. And you know what? One day it shows up. And yeah. that's how, that's what people don't understand. Like they see my wardrobe as it is today and they think, oh, well, she's clearly got a lot of money. And don't get me wrong. My financial situation has absolutely changed. And I'll always be honest about that. But the wardrobe that I have was not an overnight, like, oh, I'm going to have all the best designer pieces. I'll just get it all. No, it was me literally being like, I love this designer's collection, so I'm just going to check every week on all of these sites for five mm. years until something pops up, and lo and behold, it's actually $100, and I'm going to pay that because I know that that piece costs two grand. And that also speaks to how we just devalue clothing after time. You know, like mm. we do, our society does this thing where you can have an item that was thousands of dollars, but if there's no demand for it, it virtually will go down to 90% of its price. And I began to see that early in when I started to sort of shop on like eBay. eBay was the first place I started shopping for like secondhand clothing. I began to realize that we just devalue everything in our society and there's, we make too much of everything. So anything that you possibly could desire within your wardrobe, if you're patient enough, mm -hmm. it will show up in other places. Mm -hmm. But also that patience is a lesson in realizing that you don't have to participate in fashion and the ways in which we've been taught, you know, told that like, oh, no, no, you just go to the high street and just mm. buy all the stuff that you want and this and that and then dispose of it next week. You know, you really start to just be a bit more patient and a bit more gentle and a bit more 
okay, you know what? I'm not going to buy that because I don't actually want that. That's a short-term thing. What I really want is this thing that I possibly can't afford and I'm just going to wait until I find something similar. Perfect. So definitely buying clothing secondhand has totally helped me to slow down in general and to really get the stuff that really, really matters mm. and stuff that you feel really great in. Mm, totally. I that Yeah, that's something that I've come to as well. And I'm totally with you on the eBay thing that I'm like like my partner would be like, oh, I used to have this shirt and I absolutely loved it. And I don't know, what, I don't even know where it's gone. I must have left it on holiday or something. And I'm like, tell me about it because I will find it on eBay. I, I promise you. I just play the you. game. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, even my partner, I mean, when I met Steve, he was just wearing, you know, fast fashion men's clothes off the rack. You know, he had a wardrobe of like, you know, just fast fashion. I remember the first, like, when we, when we went to Japan together that was the first time that he really started to see men's clothing. He got this vintage Comme des Garçons jacket and it's so good on him. And now he's like, oh yeah, um, maybe like you could find me some more like secondhand Comme des Garçons pieces that really work for me. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a taste for it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's very hard. I think when you change your way of like looking at fashion and style it's really hard to go back to like the old way basically totally but we're not buying anything like new off the rack just like that like that that has happened like probably once or twice for me but um I I just full disclosure to people like if you see someone like me with a wardrobe that you admire ask about the story but do not assume that this stuff was bought full retail price because I can't afford that but also, I think it's an interesting thing that I guess by having a platform, people do assume. People always massively overassume people's income and their assets yeah. or familial wealth or whatever. And you know what's the problem? The problem is there's class confusion because we don't talk about class privilege and wealth in honest ways in our society. And that's something that I talk about in the book. It's just everybody is... People are confused, but I also think people that are our peers are, like, willfully a bit deceitful. Like, there's such mm -hmm. a thing as, like, you know, lying by omission, I think. Like, when you've got, like, when you're, like, complaining about, like, paying rent and, you know, you've got a friend who you know their parents, like, bought their house just like that. And they're like, yeah, you know, like, it's really tough out there right now. And you're just... I think that's kind of lying by omission because mm. it's like you don't even understand what I'm complaining about. Stop it. Like stop yeah. trying to feel like you're the worker when in actuality you're the boss. And I think a lot of people do that within our society and I don't think it's very helpful. I always try and be extremely honest about like these are the privileges I have. These are the privileges I don't have. You know, this is how much I have paid for this item but I also paired it with this item. And while that is a designer piece, I managed to buy that secondhand on this site. And this is how you can do it too, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, I, I think that within our generation, there has to be more honesty surrounding these topics, you know? Mm. Yeah, because also then otherwise you're just perpetuating, it's, it's just a, another way of encouraging consumerism and this just absolute worship of money and things. Yeah. You're perpetuating it while also making your friends feel like shit because maybe they don't have the same sort of privileges as you. Like, for the people that I'm close friends with, I am, like, brutally honest about, like, you know, what we, you know, where I'm at financially. If a friend asks me, like, what I got paid for something, I will totally tell them. If they ask me, you know, but I'm obviously there is some discomfort with like shouting it from the rooftops on your whole platform about mm -hmm. like money and financials. But I, I would like a bit more honesty because I do think that some of our peers be like, be like Liam by omission about shit. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's very helpful to a productive conversation. Mm, there's a really interesting conversation happening. So I'm a stand-up amongst female stand-ups where we're kind of, lots of us are going, let's talk about what we're being paid for stuff because we're finding out we're not being paid the same as the boys or that they're, you know, that they're just, and and basically we need to know our own worth and mm -hmm. 
you know, as a marginalised group within comedy, that there's some solidarity in being informed yeah. and there's some strength in it as well. So if anybody comes to me on any gig, like, and I had to learn this, I don't want to say the hard way, but like I've done things before where I found out that like people that I, you know, know didn't, didn't make what, what they were worth. And so now anytime I'm going into something with those other people involved, I will actually message people and be like, hey, what are you making for this? This is what I'm getting paid, mm-hmm. you know, because I just want a fair landscape. That's really mm-hmm. it. I just want things to be a little bit more fair. And I, it doesn't hurt me to tell people what I'm being paid or to be honest and open about that. And people will come to me now and be like, hey, what should I charge for this? I end up giving out advice about this all the time. (laughs) And it's good. It's good. But I think we just need to be more honest. If somebody wants to write for a a group that I've written for before and they come to me and ask me about payment, I'll be like, well, this is what I made. I don't think you'll get that only because of this reason, but I see no problem with you asking for this amount of money. Like Mm -hmm. I have a bigger following than you. And so maybe I got more paid more money because there's an expectation that I'm going to promote it. But, you know, I think that you should ask for this and they'll probably say yes. You know, Mm -hmm. so like I really do want to make like um, I want to make things more equitable and more fair. And I'm on Mm -hmm. I I really want people to just start coming correct about like how we do that. Totally agree. I ask, do you think about hair and makeup as part of your outfit? Well, actually, if I had known this was a video call, I would have actually put on a face. I was planning on doing that, but I was also running late this morning. I have nothing Um, on, so. (laughs) I don't actually, um, I'm not really a big hair and makeup person. My hair is very low maintenance. And thank goodness for that, because I don't have the patience for it. And (laughs) as far as makeup goes, I pretty much wear the same products all the time like maybe I might get like a little wild to like a an eyeliner that's like a bright color but generally I really am very very same old same old in my makeup and that's fine because I feel like my really bright knitwear speaks louder than the makeup you know (laughs) absolutely um is it over the years as someone who clearly loves clothes and fashion, are there any sort of trends that you've gone in for that's just not happening for you that you've had to go, okay, I'm going to have to make peace with that? <laughs> Oof. I think that for me was a moment where I realized, like, there were certain trends. I, I, I would say for me, the moment where I started to say, I'm not going to do that was like, yes. Like, and for me, I think the one trend, wet look leggings, Everybody was doing the wet look leggings and I was like, I'm going to look like a seal in those. I don't know. You know, that's not for me. They don't look comfortable. It doesn't look like something I want to wear. It's just not for me. And that was a freeing moment. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say that more often. I'm going to say, you know what? That's great, but it's not for me. Very empowering moment brought on by some (laughs) wet look leggings. I love it. (laughs) Um. What is your oldest item of clothing that you've had for a very long time and you still love? I think I might have seen this on your Instagram the other day. I did that, yeah. So I did that last week on Instagram. It is a thrifted denim shirt. And it's not like the most loved item in my wardrobe, but it is the most worn item in my wardrobe. It's a thrifted denim shirt from The Gap, which I bought in the early 2000s. And it was very oversized when I bought it. It no longer is because bodies change as we grow older and that is completely normal and natural so now it doesn't shut but like a long time ago it was very oversized and the cool thing about like you know clothing from chain stores is that they generally do date it and so if you look underneath the Mm -hmm. tag it will tell you the year and season that your item is from and that denim shirt is fall 2001 which makes it 20 years old and we are we are coming up on an, a hole in the armpit which means i might have to repair that or it might just be time for something new because i would actually like i'd like it to be oversized again and it just isn't you know it's really it's more like a shrunken denim blazer but that's okay we had a really good run together of 20 odd years 
<laughs> That's a lovely, lo it's like you're saying goodbye to a boyfriend who like, oh, we just fell out of love, like as yeah. opposed to an acrimonious breakup. I mean, I still love it. But like, like I said, there's a hole coming in the armpit. The elbows are starting to get very, very like mm. threadbare. Um, so I think it's days are numbered, but like 20 years is a good run. And the problem is so much of the fashion that I now see in stores in general won't last you 20 years and that's the problem mm. yeah yeah I agree um is there an era that you wish that you existed in just for the clothes alone for the fashion I love 60s style I do I love I love the 60s um but I have to say like as a black person <laughs> when people say well, what era would you go back to I'm like none of them <laughs> none of them yeah fair point fair point yeah as a white person like yeah. a cis, cis white lady like I can yeah. pop in anywhere and be fine you can pop in anywhere I mean those were times where things shit wasn't great for you either but you know times like today even for like some people when it comes mm. to things going on in Texas but you know I, I generally am like time travel. Uh, I think um the show Lovecraft uh Lovecraft County really does a good job of talking about how like time traveling as a black person could be kind of conflicted. But for clothing I do love the sixties and I love the nineties. Like if I had had like all the money when I was like a teenager mm. Oh my goodness. I just, I loved it. I love that time period of dressing. <laughs> it wasn't because I loved being a teen. I just liked the clean lines. I loved the minimalism. I loved the mixing of the 60s with the minimalism. I just thought it was cool. Yeah, I think I used to, when I was growing up, not like it at all because it was sort of I, I was born in 86 so mm -hmm. when I was getting into clothes it was like oh you know if you wore that that was the old-fashioned thing and yeah. now I look at it I'm like this is great why was I such an idiot as a child yeah 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 no I just I think all of us I I was 82 and I think the decades are it's interesting there's always a time period where like some decade is getting like slagged off and then later on we're like actually it's kind of cool yeah <laughs> Have you got an item of clothing that you put on and you just instantly feel amazing in? Some of my like vintage Marameco dresses do that for me. I feel like their their designs really they just get me. They just they just get they get women with what they're going for. So yes, I have a couple of Marameco dresses where I always feel really, really good when I put them on. Um what else? Hmm. Knitwear, like my, my Laura Jean pieces, I think those knitted pieces, they are so me and they're just so comfortable and, and well-worn and well-loved. So, yeah. That's lovely. Well, I, I'm interested in what your relationship is with shopping because I know that you are, I, obviously, I'm clearly obsessed with your Instagram and everything you have to say. <laughs> um, but about, it was really interesting what you were saying about not being online as much and then not feeling as, I guess... Compelled or yeah, pressure. That's it. That's exactly yeah. the word. Um. So, what is your relationship with shopping? Is it? Do you want to? Is it online? Is it in person? Do you do you want to touch the stuff? Is it only second hand? Is it? How does it work um, for you? It's a bit of everything. So I do love to go to like, and this is like the total privilege of living in London. I love to go down to the the Liberties and the Selfridges and just poke around and look at the stuff that I cannot afford but just look <laughs> how it's made feel the fabric you know just check out new designers like that is a privilege of living in London I will never ever ignore that um but as far as like actual shopping for myself I tend to sort of just keep an eye out on brands that I know that I like and I tend to sort of I'll mosey over to like the secondhand site. I'll have a peek around Vestiaire Collective. I'll favorite some things. But I tend to shop and I, I try and be very, very, very intentional in how mm -hmm. I shop. And I generally will not bring something into my closet now unless I know that it's going to go with at least five different pieces, at least at the very mm -hmm. minimum. It doesn't come in my closet if I don't think it will last 100 wears which is hard because a lot of things aren't that well made anymore. So I am very, 
I almost overly scrutinize any clothing item I buy now because now that I understand the scope of all of these problems, I feel like you're a custodian of that item if you bring it into your wardrobe. You are the one that has to figure out what to do with it at the end of its life cycle. You are the one that is responsible for the repairs. You are the one, this is your item, so you have to care for it properly and you have to love it properly. You have to give it a good life. And if you don't think you're going to do that, then you shouldn't get it. And so I am very, very, I don't buy a lot of clothing these days, but also we're in a global pandemic. What do you need? Nothing, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're not wearing anything out, are you? <laughs> this is the first time I'm at the Hachette offices today, and this is like the first time I've been in an office building in probably years, and it feels really weird, but also cool, because I've got a big pile of my books, which I'm going to sign. That's exciting. But um, yeah, it's just um, things have changed, and I think naturally we all should probably slow down because mm. we didn't know but now we're starting to get the numbers now we're starting to understand mm. what do we do next we slow mm. down yeah absolutely about that and buying second hand what's the best item that you've ever thrifted or got got second hand or off ebay or mm. i had a jacket that i wore so much it was a thrifted jacket it was like an old lady's like quilted jacket and I wore it in high school it had like butterflies all over it and uh, I got so many compliments in high school and and I was like it was like my Friday jacket it was my Friday outfit and then I came to London in 2003 I brought the jacket and people here were like that's amazing you know and so it was just the jacket that always won me like today I could not squeeze in that jacket but it's still hanging in my parents' house and I don't know what to do with it, but it's like the magic jacket. Um, but I've also gotten some amazing like secondhand designer pieces, some uh, Junya Watanabe, some Come de Garçon. And those are also pieces that every time you wear it, you're going to get, people are going to come to you and say, oh, that's really nice. And then you get to sort of have a little story about how like, oh yeah, I tried this on the store and I could, never afford it but then I just waited and waited and waited <laughs> and then it came up and it was kind of expensive so I sent the person a message and said I only have this amount of money but I really love it and if you be willing to part with it I'd be so grateful but I totally understand if you don't and they wrote back and were like yeah sure and it's just like yes yes <laughs> oh I love it that's so and like if you had have been able to buy that full price at that time would I appreciate no it in the same way yeah there's no joy there's no story there's no like it must must feel like a win every time you put that it's item a win every time it's a win anytime I find something that I thought I could never ever ever afford and it's suddenly hanging in my closet. That is a win. And I get a lot of joy from my wardrobe. And once you start to collect enough of those pieces, it takes time. When you're wearing them, you go into like a store where you used to frequent in your 20s and nothing stands up. Nothing. You're never, mm. you're never going to be like, oh, yes, I really like this very cheap dress that I don't need while you're wearing <laughs> like a beautiful jacket that you waited long and fought hard for you're never gonna have that and so that's the point I'm at where I still go into you know fast fashion stores to have a little nose around I always want to see who's like getting ripped off and like what colors they're pushing and I feel like today I can't even I couldn't buy it if I wanted to because the quality is so different from what's in my wardrobe and I also get that from shopping slow fashion brands you know you get you start shopping enough slow fashion brands you're item comes it's wrapped in tissue paper with lavender dried leaves it's so beautiful and then like you go back into like a fast fashion store and you're like looking and everything's just polyester and it doesn't feel nice and it doesn't smell nice and you're just like I can't go back to this so people will say like you know I'm really really into fast fashion how do I how do I get out of it and I'm like you just have to like take some time off because the more time you take off, the more you go back to it and you start to see the glaring flaws that yeah. we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the only equivalent I have in my life is like, I used to drink loads of fizzy drinks and then I stopped drinking them. And now if I drink them, they taste like chemicals. Whereas I didn't notice that before because I was drinking them all the time. So. Oh my God, <laughs> it's the same with um, certain like, like 
products like Little Debbie snacks in America. I know that we don't have those in the UK, but in America, Little Debbie was like the thing. So I wanted so badly. They made like cakes and like just, you know, people that were really lucky got Little Debbie stuff in their lunch and my mom never bought it. She was like, that stuff's not very good for you. Anyways, (laughs) I bought some like zebra cakes when I was home recently, like with my sister. We were like, yeah, let's get some zebra cakes. They're amazing. And they just tasted like chemicals. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) But I also, I make that similar analogy with fast fashion, right? So if you're buying like once a week, once a month, whatever, you are on this constant loop of being fed fast fashion, right? And it's the same with sugar. Like, I love sugar. And in America, we put a lot of sugar in the food. You notice, you don't notice it when you're there. When you come to the UK, you notice the absence of sugar. And you're like, <laughs> I crave sugar. Give it to me. Give it to me. And then it tapers off after like two weeks. Now, when I go back to the States, I go and order something from a restaurant that was like perfectly fine for me. And I'm like, that's a lot of sugar in there. <laughs> you know, like you're a bit like surprised by it because you've taken that time off. It is the same with fast fashion, right? If you're constantly buying, you're never going to notice the quality or the weird smells or the fact that maybe it's not the thing that you actually need. But if you take enough time off of it, when you go back, you're just like, wow, you light a match and this whole store goes up in flames. You know what I mean? But you don't notice that when you're just in the cycle. see your style at like do you think this is your style now or do you think it's going to evolve or change radically yeah no I think I'm I think I think I've reached my uh my full bloom at middle age I always say I was born middle age and I do feel <laughs> that way and I'm just like yeah this is me you know what I mean like yeah some things will change but I think I've started dressing in a way where I really aim to get longevity out of my wardrobe Because that was another thing I hated. In my 20s, it was like everything was, I wouldn't say it was skin tight, but it was very fitted. And so if I put on five, 10 pounds, there goes your whole wardrobe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so now I don't dress that way anymore. I love, I love a muumuu. I love a frock that's a bit, you know, big in shape. I tend to make clothing where if you change size, you're not going to be completely sized out of your dress. That's what I that's what I aim to do with Laura Jean. And so I don't buy things that are like super duper overly fitted right now because I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. I know that I've changed size five times in my adult size. I have uterine fibroids. I maybe want to have a kid one day. And so I need a wardrobe that is really good at let's just last me through these changes that my body will go through and that's how I shop now I don't shop to be like I want something overly fitted that if I you know change size a little bit I'll have to get rid of it I don't want to live like that it's not fun no it's really not and you have just made me think Neniga about what things have I bought being like this is I'm on the cusp of this fitting but if if your weight fluctuates which it does in you know it's in done. one direction that's it it's done like that's such yeah. a stupid position to put yourself in because also i can't help i'm trying but to our society that. our society makes the clothing you know what i mean yeah. like if this is something that could be fixed by design people could make shirts that had extra panels of fabric so that you could let it out you know like these are all issues that could actually be solved by design but fashion is pushing certain things so don't blame yourself for that Great. That's exactly the the, the get out of jail free card I needed. <laughs> no, it's true though. Like I think there are so many issues in our society that could just be fixed if people put a little bit more time into it. Mm. And you know, if we had laws like if you make a pair of shoes and they're so uncomfortable the person can't wear them, they can return them and you have to give their money back. You know, like that would definitely change the uh, scale of uncomfortable women's shoes being made for sure. <laughs> People would get real serious about comfort if they knew that we would be returning to them those shoes and being like, yeah, I wore these and they hurt my feet. So I'd like a refund. Thanks. So like, I do think that there are things that our society sh- 
structurally can change to make a more inclusive, kinder, gentler world. And unfortunately, that's just not happening. But maybe we are the leaders that we've been waiting for. Oh, that's amazing. I hope so. Um, absolutely behind you on the getting a refund on those shoes, by the way. I think that's such a smart idea. <laughs> They're um, one-time use shoes. Like, honestly, a pair of uncomfortable shoes are one-time use because you know after they cut your feet up, you're not going to be like, oh, I think I'll wear these today. You know? no. <laughs> you put them in your closet. They become covered in dust. Maybe they get a little moldy, and then one day you throw them away. Like, that's a one-time use product. And, like, you even see it when you go on, like, websites of brands, and you'll see the reviews, and someone will be like, these shoes are so painful, I really hate them. But the brand isn't like, okay, let's yank this design because we're getting multiple reviews where people are saying it's uncomfortable. No, no, no. let's just keep selling them, you know? (laughs) Is there an item of clothing you can always see yourself wearing? Always, always, always a dress. Always an oversized sweater as well. Love it. And are there any trends that you're hoping never come back that you're like, we, we've seen enough of that? I think we overdid the cold shoulder top. I think I think too many cutouts on the arms. I just think we really, we really took it to an 11. <laughs> it's the ones that are midway down the arm as well that I find confused. Because I'm like, that's the, the bit of my arm I'm most likely to want to hide. And then you've given it its own bit. I just remember being like, what? what? Okay, why is it everywhere? Like when I saw it, I was like, okay, that's not for me. But maybe that's for some people. And then... It just went everywhere. And I was just like, no, okay, we need to stop. Like, stop. Like, it's fine if some people like this, but the amount of designers that should know better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got one final question. It could be seen as a, as a bit somber, but it's meant to be celebratory. So what outfit would you want to be um, buried in? Buried in. I knew you were going to say it. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> Oh, I haven't thought this far ahead. I don't, you know, I'm not sure, but something that will biodegrade because I want it to go when my body goes. I don't want to be, you know, I just don't want to have like my body decompose in an outfit made of plastic just sitting there (laughs) 500 years after I am long gone and have returned to the stars as stardust. So something linen-y, something hempy. I've just, you know, I've really, I've reached my final self as the middle-aged art teacher I always wanted to be, and I'm (laughs) loving life. So yeah, definitely something hippie-like. I haven't gotten that far ahead, but it has to be something that will leave the planet at the same time I do. Leave nothing behind. I really love Arja. She's so elegant and straightforward in what she says. And it sort of makes me less terrified of confronting things like consumption and, you know, the carbon footprint of my wardrobe. And I'm hoping some of you are maybe the same and you're just a bit like me. I just feel so terrified um, that it might feel easier to ignore the problems but whenever I read something I've just written or listen to her speak I think it always comes from a place of understanding without being fluffy and infantilizing and I think her book Consumed which is out now will be one of those books that people cite as a point that culture and conversation shift so very exciting and I think I found the perfect small business to bray about too because I wanted to ask Aja to be on the podcast since I first came up with the idea and I always plan to talk about this business because it is such a perfect fit. Um, It's sort of two businesses, so stay with me. They come from the same great brain, specifically that of Calcadan Legessa. She is the CEO of Sancho, a beautiful shop in Exeter, and Schwab, which I'm excited to tell you about, is an online venture. So let's start with Sancho, a high street shop of the year winner in 2020. It started as a pop-up shop in only 2014. Now, Sancho specializes in sustainable and ethical clothing and homeware, and they work with small and large sustainable brands with an aim to provide affordable, ethical fashion to you. So you can search the website by your ethos too, so you can look for products exclusively from 
black owned businesses or that are vegan, which is just amazing. And they also operate a transparent pricing policy with some items. So you can pay just what the item costs and the postage, or you pay like the middle price and that covers the aforementioned and the shop's overheads, or you can pay the top price and cover the overheads of someone who could only pay for the bottom tier. I just think that's so amazing because it can allow people to support other people making sustainable choices too. Kargadan is brilliant on social media too. I've learned lots from her Instagram and discussions and she's recently launched Schwab, which is a circular, sustainable fashion selling site where amongst other things, you can track your clothes to the end of their life. It's just really inspiring. So go and have a nose at Sancho Shop and Schwab because I, oh yeah, Schwab is spelled S-H-W-A-P because I think just doing amazing things. We've had more messages from you, which is delightful. If you want to message us, um, you can write to us at whoyouwearingpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us at whoyouwearingpod on Insta. Um, so you can drop us a message there if you prefer. Calathea messages on Instagram with just a picture of her looking absolutely banging in a jumpsuit. And she says, thank you for inspiring me to be comfortable in my own skin. Being a curvy five foot 42 year old, I can sometimes lack the confidence to embrace my quirky style. This is a cute little jumpsuit. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's like sort of like a um, uh, purple with like a really great print on it. She said, I found it in a charity shop today for eight quid. Love it. I just need to change the buttons and add a belt to complete the look. You look amazing. Thank you so much for listening. And um, Susie said, oh, this is so good about Chris's pictures from last week of her and her twin, especially in matching dresses. She says, my auntie used to make me dresses when I was little. Cute. She said she once made me a dress to match the one she'd made for my mamgi. I hated it. Mamgi is South Walian Welsh for grandma. Like, love the idea of a matching dress. Not sure I want me and granny stepping out in the same outfits. God, love her. Heather sent a lovely message after Chris's episode as well, saying, Chris is an absolute inspiration. This was such a beautiful episode. Really nice to hear you mention Fashion Revolution too. Thank you so much for all your messages. Um, Yes, always nice to hear from you. And thank you to all the lovely folk who've given us a nice review. Now we're heading to the end of series one. It's been a blast, but we've got lots of episodes racked up for series two already, but we're having just a little six week break. It would be so lovely if you guys could subscribe so you know straight away when the next episode comes out Um, and it really helps people find us as well next week's episode is with an absolute gem of a human and a deeply funny soul it's tv stephen bailey see you then who are you wearing is produced by joe southard the artwork is by mary phillips and the music is by annie glass this has been a little wonder production